Welcome back to Homestuck Made This World, the show about critical analysis and contextualization of the webcomic Homestuck. I'm Michael, and with me as always is Cameron. Yep. Today we begin episode 11 of Homestuck Made This World. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. How many episodes are there this the whole thing? 13. I'm buckling up. Yep. Here I go. <laughs> It just, uh, it, when we started episode one, like what now? Oh, a little over a year ago. Mm -hmm. How how the time has flown. Now, uh, I, I did a vocal gag there for the audience, but you might not have heard it because Discord sometimes cuts these things out. But I, I cracked a, uh, an aluminum can lid right into the microphone. I did not hear that at all. So. Yeah, yeah. I thought maybe you didn't. That's why I was. I wasn't just going ah in in satisfaction for no reason. <laughs> it it was uh in my uh you know buckle up get ready, uh -huh. Buster around the downhill slide. <laughs> Boy, are we? Uh, no, actually, there's 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 cool stuff in in store. Uh, some of it perhaps in this very partisode. Uh, very digestible. This part is though. extremely. It went down like oil. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, listener, you ever heard of someone no sell someone in real time? <laughs> just I really hit them. I'm just trying to imagine like like oil going down. Uh, 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 some sort of powerful glug. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Homestuck brought to you by Valvoline. Yeah, yeah. It's plot critical glug. <laughs> if you ask me. Oh, I guess I guess I'll summarize then. Uh, I'll summarize the reading for eleven one. Please. <clears throat> Act 6, Act 6, Intermission 4 begins as John wanders the ruined session, which is littered with wrecked planets, glitch artifacts, and elements of the MSPA webpage. He meets Dirk, who's just arrived. He does not engage with John, saying he failed everyone and is devoured by glitches. John spots Roxy with Rose and follows them to Roxy's planet. Injured by the Condessa's trident, Rose speaks briefly with Roxy and then dies heroically. John decides that he's the failure, not Dirk, since he was the one with the power to stop this. He and Roxy talk about how everything's pointless now, stuck in what John identifies as yet another unwinnable scenario, and they wonder about giving up and letting themselves dissolve into the doomed timeline. Then, Terezi crash lands with her jetpack, bleeding profusely, headbutts John, and demands he fix this. Terezi tells John he should obviously use his retcon powers to change their circumstances, but John protests that they affect him randomly. Roxy remembers all players of the game have denizens, boss monsters who are reputed to have awesome and mysterious powers, and with no other options, Terezi orders John and Roxy both to see their denizens. John and Roxy awkwardly bid each other goodbye, and Terezi calls them goofuses for skirting their obvious romantic tension. With Roxy gone, John asks Terezi what he should change in the timeline should his denizen Typheus help him control his power somehow. She's unsure and doubtful of her mind powers, which typically allow her to see outcomes from various actions. She asks him to think of a phrase she can use to lure a version of him from the future, and noting the ruby slippers Terezi stole from Jade's corpse, John offers, there's no place like home. 
Terezi tries to focus on this phrase to summon a future John, but it fails. John sets off to see his denizen. In the dream bubbles, Jade and Callie dress the stage to look like Jade's island. They reflect on their lives and the stage shifts to Callie's room, where Caliborn's lost tooth is still on the floor. Upon mention of Callie's brother, Jade remembers once more meeting an alternate Calliope somewhere else in the dream bubbles. She was an aloof and mysterious god tier, but loved to tell stories. As Jade remembers more, she and Callie grab the Till Death codebook and decide to recreate the story together, with Jade writing the words and Callie drawing the pictures. The story, Jade says, tells of her own brother and how he died. Jade explains that one day, during the battleship's three-year journey, Dave Sprite and John were on John's planet, which inexplicably blew up, killing them both. This left her alone and sad for a long time, until one day in her dreams she met alternate Calliope, who explained John died because in another reality somewhere, another John reached an agreement with his denizen, the consequence of which was all other Johns and all other realities died, leaving Jade alone. The Alt-Cali had no frame of reference for sympathy with Jade's predicament, suggesting she never talked to the Alpha Kids, which our Cali takes to be the thing that made her alternate self strong enough to predominate over Caliborn. Jade says Alt-Cali then told her of what happened to the John who made the bargain, who ventured to the core of his planet to see Typhius. Jade pauses for an intermission to describe how she named all the consorts on the ship with her, but Cali urges her to go back to the real story. As Jade explains, John ventured to the core of his planet and met with Typhius, a huge green snake monster with an indescribable face. When John accepted its bargain, Typhius flooded the core with oil, leaving John to drown. However, he realized that if he used his retcon powers, he could teleport the oil itself away. And in the moment of do or die, he did, dispersing the oil as small smears across a selection of panels from all throughout the run of the comic. With his planet finally clean, John then played a pipe organ that summoned a great wind, clearing the skies and freeing the fireflies that had been trapped there since Act 2, thus completing his personal quest. The strength of the wind also pops the Homestuck Act 6 Act 6 expansion pack out of its slot, clearing away the stardust and candy Caliborn shoved in, and Little Seb the Robo-Bunny plugs it back into play. We rejoin the story in the present tense, as John's planet is zapped by his retcon powers out of the story proper and onto the blank expanse of the MSPA website. He heads outside and finds Roxy waiting for him. She explains she also met her denizen, who told her to either die in the Doom timeline or go to John's planet and wait. John realizes he can now get the Ring of Life for Calliope, whom they both put together as Caliborn's sister. John supposes when they're ready and everyone's alive, he can use his retcon powers to zap everybody in and they could fight Caliborn before he becomes Lord English. John advises Roxy to hang out in the strange non-canon space they now inhabit and practice her void powers, with the aim of recreating the troll's matriorb. John zaps away, appearing randomly around the comic a few more times, including Act 6, Act 6, Intermission 1, where he tells himself to go find Roxy. Finally, remembering his plan with Terezi, he focuses in on the No Place Like Home message. He zaps back to the earlier scene, requiring us to put a password into the page to arrive at a new outcome. John now appears in the scene where he initially failed to appear, surprising both Terezi and a former version of himself, whom he orders to go off elsewhere. Back in the dream bubbles, Vriska and Mina wander to an eerie, deserted amusement park. 
Vriska wonders about the meaning of it all, and Mina tells her that you can't get too worked up over the stuff you find in the dream bubbles. Mina suggests Vriska get a tattoo, and while Vriska says she hasn't liked tattoos before, she suddenly doesn't realize why she holds that opinion and decides to go along with it. Back on Roxy's planet, Terezi writes John a list of keywords to guide his interventions in the narrative, along with directions on what to do. Then she draws a chalk outline for her own corpse and falls down dead. John wonders why she has to be so weird. She's she's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, real plotty plot plot plotty plot plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, plot. Following on on what you said last time, there's a a real strong sense of continuance in the story now. All of a sudden. Yeah, and actively making fun of someone who wants to do uh, intermission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That features a bunch of little gremlins and gobos and, and creatures with funny names. <laughs> Good stuff, yeah. And then uh, big formal changes. Uh, uh, the retcons. More retcons. Yeah, putting oil everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, all the art changing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. I mean, so this is uh, basically a, a a repeat of what happened with John's arm, uh, where if you were to look at this comic on the uh, Homestuck website, you would already see all of these changes already made. This is another kind of editorial decision that uh, the reader app has, has implemented, where if you're a new reader... Um, these things will not be visible to you, and then the the retcon will be enacted uh, as you progress through the story. So uh, that is that's the case, uh, and also um, the page where you can put in the password uh, because it's it loops you when you uh, have to go back to the scene where Terezi tries to summon John and she initially fails. It loops you back to that page, uh, the exact same page, but then there's a. Uh, a kind of like split in the link that you can click moving forward. It's not the normal like arrow uh, parser thing that's been going through the rest of the comic. There's like a bunch of question marks above it. And so you mm -hmm. click those question marks and it sends you to a password page. Uh, and so again, if you were reading this on the website, uh, you would have come to that page initially and you would have already seen uh, the link. You could have gone in and seen the uh, thing asking for the password and attempted to guess it and not gotten it right probably. Um, but, you know, it, it impacts kind of the, the phenomenological reading experience of what Homestuck is in ways that I think are worth kind of underscoring. Oh, so if if I were reading that straight up now mm -hmm. on the website, that would have been in the original panel. Right. You would have hit that original panel uh, and you would have known uh, where it is as it, as it initially appears. It's like... You know, just a normal series of panels, like Terezi gets the idea, Terezi tries to summon uh, a future John to get some ideas, uh, and then it fizzles out and fails, and it just moves linearly. Uh, right. You would have seen on that uh, page where she's trying to summon him, both the option that you can pick that will show you the failure, and also the question marks that lead you to the password page that you have to have read further uh, into the story to know what to do with. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm, not the case this time. Yep. Because I would have been slamming, or like, in in the reader, it's not there, right? Because I would have been slamming the word home in there initially. <laughs> would you have, like, tried that? Uh, like, would that would have been your guess? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd make sense. I'm a genius. 
I'm I'm a, a video game genius. Uh, what can I say? Uh huh. <laughs> you know, Pe- I know how it works. People in the something awful thread are like desperate for there to be Easter eggs in that password page. They're like trying all sorts of words. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's there for, right? Is to make you believe. It's just to get you to waste some time there. <laughs> Putting in horses, putting in Vriska, so on and so forth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do they think about uh, Dirk? They think Dirk's dead. <laughs> oh my god. Um, there are. Oh, well, let me say. Let me get this in. Yeah. First. <clears throat> As a millennial, this is a joke for me. You ready? Okay. Dirk's dead, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got it. Yeah. That's for all you millennials out. You're underserved in the jokosphere, mm-hmm. millennials. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, the thread, the thread probably has like two pages entirely devoted to trying to figure out what the hell is going on with Dirk. In he he failed. Yeah, he failed. Dirk, I, I failed. I need to be able to turn my head. The more that I experience Dirk in this comic, the more I think he is Batman, specifically from The Dark Knight. <laughs> like, his motives are inscrutable. Uh-huh. He's the, you know, he, he deals with all this machine stuff, and his, like, badassery is this kind of shield for really thinking too heavily about him, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, everything he does, you're like, oh, okay, that's Dirk's doing his thing. Oh, he's he's troubled. Dirk's troubled. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay. Got that. Oh, he's in the he's in the 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 bat tank. <laughs> wow, interesting. He's got sword. Cool. I got. That. He's got a robot buddy. He does. He does have all of those things. I I I don't yeah. think I would have ever made the Dirk Batman connection, but uh, I got to say it's pretty compelling. I mean, it's just the same kind of yeah. like flavor of badass. Right. I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You know, like like story badass. Right. Right. Uh, and uh, and he's again like his he's deeply emotionally conflicted, but what the root of that is is very obscured to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, other people got more going on, right? I'll see people in the uh, in the Discord just going ham, <laughs> explaining like where all this is coming from with Dirk. And uh, I don't think they're wrong or anything. I, it's just hard for me to get there on my own. You know, there's a lot of like. In the same way that it's like, well, Batman's troubled because blah, blah, blah. He wants to be part of society, but he can't. Like, we can do a lot of building up. But at the end of the day, he's just a kid who saw his parents die and he became a huge badass because of it, right? <laughs> and it's like, uh, Dirk had a bunch of friends and then, like, uh, this weird metaphysical uh, enemy game began attacking them. <laughs> and then he became a huge badass, mm-hmm. you know? There, there's, I don't know. It's just Batman-y to me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so... Uh, on some Dirk fronts, yeah. There people spend a long time in the thread just trying to figure out what is what precisely has happened where if you're not reading along, what happens is John runs into Dirk. Dirk is like looking at the the wreckage of the session. He's like, I failed. Um and then he kind of like shuts down John, you know, leave me alone. And then when he does that, the image gets like grainier and more artifacted until all of the artifacts like cover over Dirk, and then he's just non-visible anymore uh and john like later talks to roxy about this where he's just like yeah like he got uh eaten by a bunch of like shitty like image artifacts or something i don't know uh but people in the thread are like is dirk dead is he just like hanging out in those glitch artifacts if if the glitch artifacts killed dirk was that a heroic or a just death 
we didn't see a heroic or a just sign when when those glitches covered him over. So maybe mm-hmm. he's still alive. Like maybe Dirk is going to come back like they're going to get Dirk out of his depression or something. You know, the, all the kind of like spitballing theorizing uh, here kind of in the moment, um, mm-hmm. which I mean, you know, this is this is partly like my experience doing this show is getting to revisit how many words were spilled on kind of these micro movements that are just not revisited. Because, you know, in this reading, we we don't go back to this question of Dirk. Like, Dirk is under those artifacts and do with that what you want, I guess. But we're not going to explore that anymore. Yeah, I I like these artifacts. And I think they are a cool... Uh, it's the, what do you call it? The, <clears throat> what's the, what's the bad stuff? What eat everything in the never ending story? Uh, the nothing. The nothing. You know, it's that kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? It's like omnipresent. It's everywhere and kind of have a kind of a bad time across the board. Mm-hmm. And then like plot mechanically, they just poof it all away. Mm-hmm. I was a little disappointed with that. I thought it would become like a, the, the, uh, glitchy stuff felt like it would be a good funnel toward the end of the story. Mm. You know, like. More and more stuff that they could have been doing because within the confines of this game, apparently you can do anything at any given time as long as someone has not definitively blown that planet up at this point. <laughs> and uh, you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, yeah, I, like when Roxy's like, yeah, I flew here. And it's like, all right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess that's where we're at now, right? Like, do we not remember like the full act of just trying to figure out how everyone can get in the game? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and now like time and space are arbitrary, right? Mm hmm. Um, in a, in a million different uh, ways, but I so I kind of thought the the glitchy stuff would like I don't know be part of the engine that gets us toward the end. But zoo zooted right out of there. Yeah, John just uh he blows on the cartridge and everything's cool. I guess. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Thanks, Gen X. <laughs> <laughs> this is also you know uh, we we've really fallen off. I think in these last part episodes about talking about. Uh, you know, just just internet kids remember. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that because that that really mattered at the beginning, and at this point, we've probably said most of what we need to say in that context, other than the transformation of things like Tumblr. But really, um, the I don't think there's big jumps in, in terms of like uh, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014. You mm-hmm. know, in the way that there are big jumps at the beginning. Right. We we're closer to 2014 and 2022 internet style than we are to 2007, 2008. Yeah. Uh, by like a millennia. And, uh, but but what is interesting to me is like the blow on the cartridge joke is just prime Facebook meme content mm-hmm. from, from this era, you know, like th- things that only people who grew up with the Nintendo <laughs> remember. Well, and it's like, this is such the era of that shit, right? And, and the pivot to video, right? Mm-hmm. We're like, right, we're right during the pivot to video, I guess, mm-hmm. 20, 2012 to 2014-ish. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're in 2015 now, I think, maybe. No, we're at eleven oh five twenty fourteen. Okay, for okay. The, I thought we'd gone glitch. over the new year. Yeah, okay. Uh, we might have by the end of the reading, but at, at the I just happen to be looking at the panel right now. But uh, but you know, I don't know. There's just something about that too, of like the nostalgia, uh, our generation's nostalgia gears, like really kicking in mm-hmm. and becoming like a full third of the meme content of the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Epic Bacon were replaced by uh, only nineties kids remember. <laughs> No, people in the thread have been like 
hoping for a John blows on the cartridge joke since Caliborn like shoved all that shit into it. Like that it was just like, you know, the 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 runway was so clear for people in the something awful thread uh, that when it finally happens, people they're like, yeah, woohoo! the thing, the thing that we've been cheering for uh, for months now came to fruition at this point like over a year ago was when you know someone would have first floated that idea it's finally come to fruition hmm fascinating Mm -hmm. um uh more on the topic of dirk however another thing that people in the thread talk about um another like great example of just the the vast worlds that could be contained within the something awful thread uh which is constantly saying that uh, you know, like there, it's full of people who are saying that uh, no one but Andrew Hussey can write these characters. All fan fiction sucks. You know, uh, reference my comments about uh, Paradox Space in, in the previous episode and kind of the reaction to that. Uh, all of that stuff, all those posters are still in the thread. And yet uh, a particular piece of fan fiction shows up in this reading that is Dirk centric. It is Detective Pony by Sonnet Stuck. Uh, and people in the thread love it. Uh, and you know what? You might love it too. You can go to patreon.com slash range touch and check out our bonus episodes and the latest bonus episode that has been posted literally the moment you are hearing this, uh, is about Cameron and I talking about detective pony, which takes the, uh, a faced book that Dirk gifted Jane, uh, that we see early on in Act 6, Act 1. Uh, we just see a couple of pages of it, and it does the entire Detective Pony book in the style of, like, Dirk's sort of new meta-narrative. And there's a bunch of, like, references to, say, Dante and Plato and uh, Deridian philosophy. And Cameron hasn't read it yet, uh, but I imagine we're going to have some interesting things to say about it. So you can check that out, patreon.com slash range touch. And I'm not kidding, the the Something Awful thread is like, wow, I love this. This is like my preferred version of Dirk. Unlike those people who write Paradox Space, this person is really good at getting Dirk's voice right. I, huh. It's interesting. It's really interesting because, I mean, it's almost like, I don't know, uh, the thread, despite itself, uh, you know, cottons on to like the, the the incredible amount of effort that goes into Detective Pony, which, you know, we will talk about on the bonus episode. But um, uh, yeah, like they they get so angry about the Paradox Space comics. And yet uh, the the love for Detective Pony is unceasing, like understandable because Detective Pony is really cool. But also like these are the people who were yelling about this not three months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they internet users are a fickle lot. Mm-hmm. They're superstitious and cowardly as well. <laughs> uh, touching on then, based on like what we've already set up, uh, we've already talked about like the the kind of whole retcon thing. Um, the other, I guess, aspect to to make clear here, especially because it's something that's very visual in the comic that you wouldn't get if you're not reading along, is how that entire story of like what happened with John in uh, the dream bubbles, or rather like the the story that Calliope and Jade are telling, uh, is first of all, just to make this clear, uh, intended as kind of a rug pull. Um, that, you know, uh, surprises everyone in the thread because it, uh, how this has been structured, if you're reading along, 
obviously this is something that would have occurred to you, uh, you would assume that the jade who's shown up and has been talking with Calliope is the jade who got smashed by the house that fell over on her uh, back uh, prior to game over. And this is a revelation that it is a jade uh, from a different timeline, that the this jade that we thought was like, quote unquote, our jade this whole time is actually some other jade from some other kind of continuity. Uh, and then she and Callie tell this story together. Um, and all of the images in the story that are like Jade, uh, Jade's words, um, and Calliope is like drawing them. So they're drawn in kind of the Shelby Crag art style. Uh, and we see all of this stuff happen, not in the traditional MSPA style, but in that style, uh, which I think is, you know, interesting, uh, in general, you know, given how Homestuck has all of this visual experimentation, moving characters between modes and so on, uh, but then like a, a response that I see in the thread that I think is is kind of fun to hold up and think about is the person who complains about this uh, because they basically they say that they want they want to have seen this scene in the regular art style because this feels like unreal to them or something, right? Like. Uh, uh, they feel like they are seeing the scene at a remove, uh, in a similar way that we talked about, like, you know, things will happen off camera in this comic and then be related entirely through dialogue later. Uh, they're treating it like that. The fact that this is being told in kind of like this storytelling device in this particular art style, um, ends up making the, the scene feel like inauthentic to them in some way. Uh, when in fact, I think like what we should understand is going on here is is more meta commentary about the process of Homestuck itself, right? About, uh, hey, what mm -hmm. if you and I sat down together and we told each other a story in kind of this collaborative, co cooperative way um, in a much more, like, positive aspect that I think the comic has basically treated itself at all thus far, uh, which might be actually why it's uh, easy to miss. Yeah, there is a. Sorry, I'm I'm checking a, a time or not a time a uh, thing. I really keyed into, I think it's seventy seventeen. Uh, this is Jaden talking to Calliope. Uh, Jade, when you said you were a monster, what did you mean? Were you just being hard on yourself, or did you mean that literally? Calliope, no, I was being rather literal about literal about my true appearance. Jade, I see. And your brother looks the, the same way, too, I take it. Calliope, yes. We look identical, though he was surely more a monster than I. He still is. Mm -hmm. We look identical, though he was surely more a monster than I. I, You know, I'm still holding it out. I'm still holding out for uh, Calliope not being uh, the, uh, you know, per perfect little uh, space princess <laughs> that uh, we're thinking she is. I'm like a guy in a bar in Chicago now. You know, I think uh, that Calliope there, uh, she uh, she's acting a way. I don't know if I like it. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> the uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, but yes, I think it's positioned and drawn and uh, represented in such a way mm -hmm. that Calliope is the good one. But also, Calliope keeps lying. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's all this stuff about you know uh, she she gets really excited and then her hand you know turns into the green goblin hand whatever where cherubs mm -hmm. her hand turns and then she's like oh don't don't look at that forget about that mm -hmm. uh, you know she's really trying to take out she she wants Jade to like 
shut the hell up and keep doing stories. So she gives into these older kinds of things. We look identical, though he was surely more monster than I. I don't know. Surely? Surely more monster? I don't know about that. I don't know about <laughs> that. Uh, uh, you know, uh, this season, they're all kind of the same. <laughs> yeah, that and... Um... There's an interesting thing that happens also. So we also get this glimpse in in these drawings of like the alternative uh, Calliope, uh, who's got mm-hmm. the the solid uh, cheeks and like the dark eyes, and she's wearing kind of like uh, what panel is this? What is the? Um, I can give us a number. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. I seven zero six nine. Seventy sixty nine. Oh yeah. Whoa! 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 The Wolfman yelling. If only the Wolfman had had been yelling sixty nine. Weird Al would have been so different. <laughs> you know. Uh. So yeah, we get uh, and then the panel just before the sixty eight uh, seventy sixty eight has like sort of a, a further back shot, but it's like it's t- almost entirely a silhouette. But we see kind of like the the eyeless uh, skull, uh, the dark eyes uh, that are empty. Uh, I think this has been mentioned before, but um, Calliope's eyes when she's dead are unlike the eyes of all other characters who their their eyes turn white. That's how you know that they're ghosts. Calliope's eyes are black. Um. So uh, the alternative Calliope also has these uh, darker eyes. Jade kind of talks about how she's uh, more intimidated by this other Calliope uh, who seems colder, more aloof, uh, but also is a really great storyteller. And there's this interesting moment where um, she's trying to remember. So, you know, this is this is another interesting thing, right? Is that like the story that Jade and Callie are telling together is the story that the alternative Calliope already told Jade that Jade is remembering. Uh, right. Uh, so, you know, uh, uh, we can like maybe point to some of the Platonist metaphysics here or whatever, right? Everything that you, that you know, that you think you're learning is actually just something you're remembering. Uh, uh, Gnosticism, right? Sophia, the, the feminine goddess who is trapped in the material realm. Um, so, uh, Anyhow, uh, one of the things that Jade says is uh, she had a something like she had a really uh, interesting or sort of like elaborate way of talking or something. And Jade is struggling to recreate it. And Calliope tells her like, oh, you don't have to bother to, to recreate it, like tell it in your, your in your own way, uh, which to me, this reading feels particularly uh, loaded um, as I've been thinking about how much Homestuck as an object uh, and sort of like fan responses to it thrive on a kind of like imitation or repetition, right? Taking the thing that mm-hmm. uh, the comic does and just repeating it or making it more elaborate or, uh, you know, uh, reusing the meme, reusing the joke, that sort of thing. And here's just this like quiet little like don't don't try to repeat the story in the way that you heard it. Uh, do it in your own way. Well, and also filling in the gaps, right? I mean, it is a essentially, as far as we're aware, right? The this uh, Calliope Jade conversation, like hooded Calliope Jade conversation, it, it's it's a text log, right? You know, from from the the representational regime that we have, mm-hmm. right? It it for if we were to read it, we would only read it. Mm-hmm. The, the there would be no visual content, and then Jade invents visual content to illustrate it, right? To make it more in line with the other stories, and so to me, it's a this kind of 
uh, as you're saying, this kind of like daisy chain of narrative, but also kind of this additional thing going on around fanfic, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, the replicative the replicative act is not is cultural, as you're saying, right? Like, part of the culture of Homestuck is take the thing and remix and and do whatever you want to with it. But the but another piece of it is just re-rendering it, right? So drawing things that were not represented, mm-hmm. uh, or drawing parts or characters in forms that they weren't already. Um, or even filling in entirely new information, and then uh, then people taking that information and then drawing stuff around it or whatever, right? So it's this kind of um, generative impulse, I guess, that's around it of filling in all the possible blanks uh, around it. So you know, this again is the, another as we've talked about, especially Act Six is just proliferating author audience stand-ins right mm-hmm. Na- narrating them them from every possible position but at this point feels decidedly less hostile mm-hmm. you know like what's going on with caliborn is hostile in a in an abstract sense but it is not the level of like and here i'm gonna put the tumblr user in here mm-hmm. and and you know but clown upon it uh this is a different kind of thing and also you know to go with what you were saying earlier it actually feels more of a story. It feels like these are themes and ideas and not just audience stand-ins. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that way, they're less one-to-one, just to be frank, right? Like, in earlier parts of the comic, it felt very one-to-one to me of, like, where there's an author stand-in and where there's an audience stand-in and who's in a position of power and who is not and who's being made fun of and who isn't. That's decidedly less key- less clear to me after the kind of big pause. This feels more like the way that most stories are uh, in most pieces of fiction are where there are things of of um, uh, audience stand in and narrator and the and the author uh, uh, making commentary on the world, but in veiled ways and pulling themes out of the real world. This this feels like that mm-hmm. more than anywhere else in the comic ever has, where it's been pretty thin mm-hmm. uh, in terms of how it gets brought into the plot. Uh. And just a, another note, I guess, on that scene, uh, the way that it, the, you know, more, more of these kind of Gnostic themes, uh, the way that Jade describes John finally dispersing all that oil throughout the comic, she says, and this is on page 7092, uh, that he is, quote, leaving a little mark for anyone who might notice, signifying his final mastery over his confining reality. Mm-hmm. Right. So this uh, sense that the John as a character is trapped within this kind of fiction. Uh, and this is uh, one of the reasons why I think it's interesting to consider like the editorial decision of uh, like the reader app of choosing to have these things kind of be revealed uh, in, in the process of reading versus what you would see if you were on the uh, uh, the website. Uh, namely, right, if you're, if you're looking through the website and you're seeing, like, all of these arms poking out of the backs of panels and, like, all of this smeared oil in all these weird places, and you're like, what is that? What's going on? You talked a little bit about this, uh, during the, the arm thing, Cameron. Um, uh, you would be like, what is happening? And then this provides that answer, uh, which is that sort of, like, you know, again, thinking phenomenologically, uh, uh, think maybe of Homestuck as a kind of, like, pop-up book, right? Uh, the pop-up has already happened. Like, uh, you you have seen, like, the there's a tab in the future that gets pulled and this happens, and uh, th- you are seeing, like, evidence of John's, like, character development prior to the point in the narrative where that's actually occurring before you have any context to understand it or, like, what's going on. Um, 
And so in a sense, right, John is already here if you're reading this on the website, uh, whereas here the the reader app uh, chooses a more of a, a simulation of the pop up as it would have been experienced of you're reading this thing, you're reading this thing, and suddenly uh, it all changes uh, retroactively when you get to the right page. Um, and for a story that right. is so concerned with uh, th- that retcon move uh, and the way that uh, it, it's a mark of villainy, uh, most particularly, this is, uh, uh, you know, what when John is talking about, like, I can't believe we are once again thrust into another unbeatable scenario because he's right. Like, that's been uh, the story from the beginning is that these kids are playing this game. Uh, and as it progresses, it feels like every it's like, OK, like, you know, it, it's it's a game. You learn the rules, you uh, aim for the objective and you try to complete it. And every time they like learn the rules or learn a little bit about the objective, it turns out that the objective is unobtainable due to shit that's like entirely out of their control. Uh, and it's just like more and more stuff stacking on, like more and more complication. Oh, we can't beat the game because uh, there's something going on with like these trolls from this other universe who are talking to us. So we need to learn all about them, hook up with them, figure out what's going on. Oh, we're going to like reset this scratch and that'll give us a new session and that'll be you know our ticket out of here oh no it turns out the the new session already has like the the seeds of the destruction uh that have we've already encountered right like the the you know paradoxically of course uh the the things that started the chain of events that we've already experienced are here in the thing that we were escaping to and now here we are we're trapped what do we do with that and Teresi's response to John is retcon your way out of it. Yeah, I think in a general sense, I I guess I didn't really quite understand that John's power was explicitly the retcon. Um, I, I understood him like popping in and out, but I don't think it was until this part of so that I realized it was like an actionable thing that he could choose to do, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, or that he could like trigger at hand. I thought it would be a little bit more of just getting pushed around by the plot. Then I do think it's kind of um, not unexpected, but maybe a little bit disappointing uh, that John's superpower is just what Lord English does. Mm-hmm. You know, like, all right. Well, <laughs> well, that's <laughs> like, okay. That's what I mean when I said that um, uh, there might be some value in having the reader work as it does uh, because mm-hmm. it allowed like, up until this point, at least, right, all of the the Lord English stuff, uh, you know, if we're if we're like taking Lord English in the kind of sense of being this this uh, chaotic, like satanic author character or whatever, uh, it's all I can't remember how I described them at the time um, when we were talking about the arm thing, uh, but it's all these kinds of uh, uh, retcons that are about recontextualizing stuff that you've already seen that's already there. Uh, whereas in the live reading experience, and this is maybe why I press my thumb on the scale here a little bit, right? Because this, uh, ends up being important to me in thinking about like, well, what is this story saying, right? Like it seems to me, and I think the, the, the future of Homestuck maybe gets a little wobbly on this, right? This might be me, uh, bringing a little bit to it. Um, but historical Michael reading this, uh, thinks like, oh, the, the important thing to understand here, um, 
is uh, because this is fiction, you can actually change it at any time in whatever way that you want. You don't actually have to make sure that it's all of a piece with everything that's come before. You don't have to make it like sealed and smooth, uh, which is like the both. It's, it's the, that's the diabolic pleasure of the uh, earlier retcons, right? Like the mm -hmm. the total mind screw twist that these kids are actually siblings to one another, uh, which comes completely out of left field and yet uh all of the it just it just slots so perfectly into everything that you already know uh and so you know there because it like solders on so cleanly to everything that's come before uh it feels kind of uh uh irresistible in a way and john demonstrates uh that this is a story being told like so to put this in a different way Mm -hmm. uh, to talk about, like, when people got really into, say, like, Act 4, Act 5 era, when people are talking about how Hussey is, like, uh, this 12-dimensional chess master who's, like, playing all of these, like, weird maneuvers and gambits, and, every, and there's this kind of uh, uh, rhetorical position constantly taken that Hussey, like, knows everything, has it all planned out, is just, like, puppet puppeting all of us. Um, uh... That is that is the author of the the seamless retcon, right? The retcon that just flows right into the next thing, uh, and this like a uh, a uh, cruise complication after complication, uh, but with no way out, right? It becomes like a stranglehold, and so mm -hmm. when I see this stuff, like these changes being made in real time historically, I think to myself, like, oh, right, this is this is acknowledgement that like this is a story told in time. First of all, like maybe Hussey like soured on the the earlier types of retcon um but also sort of more uh uh presently uh it is suggesting to the readership that uh you can like this is fiction and you can change it like uh, uh the the thing that makes John's like ability to go to different points in the narrative and make changes different from like Dave's time travel is it's Dave's time travel is constantly producing uh doomed timelines because things uh need to be sacrificed or things don't work out in the way that they're supposed to uh mm -hmm. because everything it, everything has to observe that kind of law of non-contradiction that you've talked about before whereas john can just uh make changes and not produce a doomed timeline because of course whenever you change a story you don't actually produce a doomed timeline you just like change whatever the story is doing right yeah, but which also immediately is complicated by this like alternate world, Jake, mm -hmm. right? Like we, we, we get, there's a double maneuver that happens. On one hand, the ability to intervene in the canon, you know, of Homestuck is, uh, is made so much simpler by uh, John's powers. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, it's made so much more complicated by like the PO or one of the POV characters who's explaining how all this shit works <laughs> is, uh, you know, uh, someone from a different timeline <laughs> entirely. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and although perhaps not a doomed timeline, I don't, I don't really know one way or the other. The rug pull here is still, um, so sufficiently unexplained, I guess mm -hmm. that I don't, I don't really know what the stakes are for, for new Jade. Um, yeah, I, it feels like to me, like you're saying, it feels like a, a, a cleanliness move in terms of storytelling, uh, of, of making things move along. But what also is kind of fascinating to me, and this aligns with some of the stuff we've said in previous episodes, right, that 
there's a fixation in the Homestuck fandom uh, around characters who kind of act independent, mm-hmm. right? And and that fixation is partially, it's not just out of nowhere, right? Hussey talks in those terms mm-hmm. uh, in lots of different ways. And it's interesting to me that it's it's not that the storytelling mechanism is changing. It's that John has a superpower that allows him to change. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like there's a there there is an interesting kind of uh, quality to making it a character's capability to do these things. Not you know in the past it might have been like uh, the a narratorial character doing it right mm-hmm. or uh, you know uh, intervening by one yard. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. It, it, in the past, we've seen similar things like that that have happened that are, as you're saying, in the kind of master stroke puppet master mo- mode, or when they are flagged so clearly in the narrative, they're like wrapped in the smug layer of uh, like artistry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, smug is a really negative term. I find them endearing. I think they're funny, mm-hmm. right? But like they are this kind of like wagging finger in your face. Well, did you know I can do this now? Mm-hmm. I make these things up. <laughs> So, but yeah, so there, there's a real quality change there. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose, uh, and then again, right. Uh, uh, I think I, I've said this in recent episodes too. Homestuck, uh, what you get out of Homestuck depends a lot on what you're bringing to it or kind of like the frames that you set for it. And so I think one of the other maybe unstated things here that I could be, a unpack a little bit now is like my understanding of John as a character. Um, obviously what you said about like the characters acting independently and so on, uh, in some ways that's like shored up by that line from Jade that I read, right? This is a character who's like showing his mark on his confining reality. Whereas, uh, you know, to be like, you know, boneheadedly literal about it, uh, uh, fictional characters do not exist apart from like the narratives that contain them. They're, they're one in the same. It's like, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, a piece of, uh, a textile that's been woven and has a particular design or a pattern in it, uh, the design or the pattern does not exist uh, apart from how the various uh, threads and materials have been woven together, right? Like, they constitute one another, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that's, you know, our, my understanding of how fictional characters work, uh, and there's, like, a, a different way I think you could take the... Um, uh, uh, John showing the mark over his reality, but also uh, the way that I tend to understand John and like what John is doing here is uh, the significance of the fact that he is like the first quote unquote player character that we get right, and he like he was the character who for a long time was being pushed around uh, by uh, reader commands. Uh, and those were being chosen by Hussey, obviously, but they were being uh, chosen from a, a list of things that people were writing in. Uh, and so John becomes, uh, in my mind, right, kind of symbolic of uh, what I might call the the um, captured or contained agency of the reader. Uh uh, and maybe this is, you know, just me like really reaching for it here. But uh, again, as someone who was there from kind of the beginning and kind of like watched the the rise and fall of all of this, it has always been fascinating to me that like Homestuck starts uh, with these commands. Uh, at a certain point, Hussey stops taking the commands because uh, it's sort of inefficient. It, it doesn't really matter. Um, but then what happens in the story, and I've pointed this out before, is that a author, uh, sort of sl- slightly analogous author insert character comes in and 
uh, starts wrecking shit in, in the person of Jack Noir when he gets all of his superpowers. So, like, those things follow on from one another. Hussey stops taking reader commands and then uh, puts in this villain. Uh, and Jack Noir, of course, uh, eventually is is described by Aradia as, like... Uh, this force that, that they, they complete the game, uh, they have this world that they're supposed to enter into, and then Jack Moore shows up and stops their entrance into uh, the reward, right? The the author is sort of like the blockage of uh, uh, both character agency, but also maybe some type of like reader agency. Um, and so John finally coming around in the narrative to a point where he can like manipulate the narrative himself again, uh, uh, feels to me something like a, a, a flag to the, to the reader, to the fan base, like, you can do what you want with this, right? Like, mm-hmm. that uh, you, whatever, whatever people think about Homestuck and kind of like the way that it's uh, being responsive to the fandom, um, the fandom ultimately can do whatever they want with fiction or they can do whatever they want within their fan fiction. And so there's, there's some sort of like more uh, salutary kind of... Uh, acknowledgement of the history of this comic and the way that it's interacted with readers i think um am i making sense i feel a little bit like i'm rambling Uh, well i think you're making sense but i'm curious if i mean this sounds like your interpretive move and i guess i i see where you're coming from like yeah they you know vriska can get a tattoo now right Mm -hmm. like the the world can open right Of like possibilities right but i'm curious do are people reading it that way I, i i guess i'm curious of like is this your interpretive move purely Michael Lutz making this uh, claim about the transition that's happening here? Mm-hmm. Or is this something you're seeing like in the threads that people are flagging in the moment? So uh, <laughs> here's here's a here's a hell of a move for you. Yes, people are making this move in the thread and those people are me. Oh, <laughs> remember, I'm in the thing, too. Um, yep. Uh, but uh, I'm basically alone in, in the thread in this point. I think, um, again, I've, I've talked about this enough recently, but I don't quite know. I, I have uh, I, I do not have the ability to know everything that was being said or done on Tumblr. Um, mm-hmm. I am sure probably that there were people on Tumblr coming up with ideas that are like similar to the ones I'm coming up with. That's kind of the nature of the thing. Um, I'm not aware of them, but no one in the something awful thread is really taking it this way. And again, one of the things that is kind of like historically notable to me is that it is just like, I don't know. It's, this is, why doesn't, why don't, why don't people in the thread think what I'm saying is interesting, Cameron? No, but really like, uh, uh, you know, it, it just seems like so on the surface to me, and maybe that's why people aren't making the observation. Um, and, you know, that that's really uh, uh, what I have to say on that, right? It is it is an interpretive move. It's a historical interpretive move, but it's still mine. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering, too, if, if, you know, if there's like a huge number of people being like, oh, my God, we've got permission to give Vriska a tattoo, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I think I think uh, at least for the thread, especially like I am unique in the emphasis and like the approach that I have toward like the meta elements like that is if it's not clear by this point, uh, 11 episodes in uh, that the the meta maneuvers of this comic are in many ways determinant uh, to me in terms of how I read it. So like that's my frame for everything is is like how does it how is it sort of like feeding into or helping us parse or work through kind of the the metatextual elements neat uh so 
we can talk a bit more about the the Vriska and Mina thing, or we can talk about a thing that suggests that everything I just said is wrong and I am totally off base. Uh, I don't really have much to say about Vriska and Mina, so maybe we can get out of the way. They go to a carnival, mm-hmm. and they hate and the and the horses are ominous. Yet again, horses remain ominous. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's just like these two characters keep talking to one another, and that's fine. Yeah, they're just like if you like these two, if you like these two characters. Yeah, they're hanging out. Uh, people in the thread are, you know, sort of interested in the ways that Vriska is changing. Like, I mean, you know, she's literally she. I knew it. <laughs> I knew this would be it. Except, is Vriska changing? Because I think this is the fifth conversation that Vriska has <laughs> had that is functionally identical to everything that she said before, which is like. Gosh, golly, did you know that before I thought a thing and now I think differently? <laughs> and literally that's happened every time I've changed my mind. Uh, I mean, it's a beautiful bit of character like uh, characterization in that Vriska is always immediately. It's like it's like a uh, like a knee reflex test, right? Like the reflex is perfect. She does a thing and overextends herself. And oh, my gosh, golly, gets to spend. I don't know. 5,000 words after that every time in various conversations being like, well, I can't believe I did that before. I can't believe I was Vriska the whole time. I'll never do that again. Oh, shit, I'm Vriska again. I'm doing the same thing. Like, that to me, went like, this comic, you know, everyone loves is X of Vriska, which I we have banned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I refuse to engage in this conversation. But everyone loves this conversation. I mean, really, and that seems to be like a character who does, who who's messy and who people like, but does bad stuff, mm-hmm. right? You know, and then you got to wrestle with it. Uh, but really, as X of Riska should be, is it a character who does a bad thing and then just like prods the wound in the narrative around it in the most melancholy way as for eternity, just milking the thing forever. <laughs> it's so funny to me what Vriska in in the full comic, in the word count of the comic, fifteen times as many words are dedicated to her, like bemoaning her previous actions, is to uh, compared to the actual actions themselves. Mm-hmm. It, it's extremely bizarre to me that what's happened with Vriska. At this place. Sorry to go on for a long time about the Vriska. <laughs> uh, uh, no, no, I think that's good. Um, sidebar uh, on the on the uh, question of like, is X of Vriska, which I think so, so fully dominates like post ending uh, discussions about Homestuck, you know, to the degree that we've had to say you can't do this in our Discord channel anymore because it's so circular. Uh, I think it's interesting that this is a post ending ending of homestuck discussion like nobody's really having uh that discussion in the thread uh there's something about like homestuck as a comic ending that makes like i don't know uh uh the 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 mathematical equation of x equal risk a question mark even possible and i don't quite know what that Uh. is but it's fascinating to me that we had to wait until the comic was over before we could really launch into into that so you would say that as the comic was running, Vriska discussion was dominated by like, was Vriska good or bad? Yes. And then after that, it's it, we we have resolved good or bad. Now we have to talk about our uh, you know you know is no ho Hank of Vriska. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
yes, exactly. Right. Like Vriska chat uh, during the live run of Homestuck is predominantly about is Vriska good or bad? Like what's going to happen to Vriska? Does she deserve this, that or the other? Uh, and like post ending of Homestuck, Vriska chat uh, metastasizes uh, quite literally to start like devouring other properties. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, I, there, there is something deeply, uh, perversely, uh, 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 pleasurable in this, um, uh, show by introducing things like is no ho Hank of Riska <laughs> and then banning people from being able to tell to talk to me about it. <laughs> like there, there's something, there's something great about, uh, about that. Maybe I get this whole hussy thing. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm turning around on this. Maybe I get it. Yeah. And then, like, I'll do a thing and prompt you and get mad at you for doing mm-hmm. it. Like, yeah, maybe that's good. Maybe, maybe I'm I'm flipping my whole opinion on this homestuck thing. <laughs> oh gosh, um, yeah. So anyhow, uh, in the thread, when when all this stuff is going down with Friska and Mina, uh, mm-hmm. the the kind of conversation that happens is not just uh like. Oh, Vriska is finally changing. It's like, oh, Vriska is finally changing, and this time maybe it'll stick. Right, as opposed to the last four times mm-hmm. when it's happened. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So, like, let's hope not. <laughs> let's mind wipe Vriska. Get Vriska back, tier one Vriska. <laughs> Just absolute goblin mode, mm-hmm. killing her mom, Vriska. Let's do that one. Uh, but now she's like she's got she's got Mina's braids right she's just sort of hanging out uh, she's gonna get this tattoo um, yeah like uh, uh, I, I think the other thing that's interesting about this conversation with them is that as they're wandering around the dream bubbles is the thing that I gestured to in the summary where Vriska is like where the hell did this carnival come from like what is this uh, and Mina says that you uh, what she says is um yeah, she, she, she says, uh, Vriska says, whose memory do you think this place is from? Mina says, Fishka, how long you been dead now? Uh, I don't remember, to be honest. But you still ask questions like that. Whose brain this from? Where that noise originate? I'm just curious. This is such an odd thing to encounter. Who experienced this? Some alt-alt-alt version of Karkat's lame ancestor? A chess creature from a distant, unrelated session after its post-reckoning getaway who then repopulated a dead planet and started building amusement parks? I just tend to wonder these things. It's in my nature. Namina says, It could be anything. Could be even a random patchwork of 50 different memories all contributing to Nofin that never existed in particular. Who cares where they from? Uh, I guess now that you mention it, I don't actually at all. Maybe I was just making conversation. There's a few more lines next page. Mina says, the point is you just got to keep looking at the D-bubble junk and take it in stroke, no matter how messed up it is or how much you think it shouldn't exist. Um, so I, we've said a million times that the, the dream bubbles are kind of the stand in for the fandom. And here we see kind of modeled a orientation toward fandom by these characters that I think is really interesting, especially given, um, uh, I mean the, the fandom in general's like the fandom, but like fandom in general, right. As a, a force institution community, however you want to think about fandom is, is like an aggregate thing, um, is so often, uh, caught up in, uh, these questions of like, 
you know, who is creating what, where is it coming from? Are there good creators? Are there bad creators? And this to me, right, I, I'm, I'm speaking uh, uh, in terms that I think are, are relevant to like how fandom operates today, but like it also traces so far back to like old historical Michael uh, in the mid 2000s, um, who was fixated on precisely these questions of like, who are these people like making these images and writing these stories and like, why are they doing it? Like what, what is causing this? And they're all so uh, uh, gross or silly or funny or like pitiable, blah, 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 blah. You, you can do this forever. Um, and what strikes me kind of reading this in 2014 when it first posts is uh, the degree to which like how Mina has described like my own turn on this stuff where I was so fixated on these things in, in uh, you know, the mid 2000s up until a point. And uh, I've talked about this before, but like, you know, my experience of reading Homestuck is this experience of me coming to understand that, like, not coming to understand, but coming to see fandom in like a more even handed or neutral way. Uh, precisely because so much stuff gets produced and there's such a vast variety and it's all people kind of like speaking about their experiences in these indirect ways by trying to make fan fiction or art or, or speculating or theorizing or whatever. Um, and like that in and of itself, like becomes a kind of value to me, right? The fact that there is this space uh, called, you know, the, the internet mediated fandom, uh, where I can wander around these vast spaces of weirdness and just kind of think about um, the variety of people that exist and the variety of experiences that they have. And, uh, you know, what does it mean about, like, me historically that I was so fixated on uh, trying to find the experiences that don't count? You know, the ones that uh, uh, I needed to denigrate at every opportunity. Uh you know, we're moving into the end here. We're going to get a lot of re Michael reflection hours, I guess. Right. <laughs> you know, we're all just wandering around some knockoff dark carnival on, here on the Internet. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what to do. I don't. We'll see. Yeah. Vriska and Mina, that's got to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like this is headed somewhere. I imagine they will continue to appear throughout the comic. I will uh, reserve my judgment for like what's up with all these segments mm -hmm. uh, for that part. Um, you know, yeah, they could have gone to prom. <laughs> prom stuck just becomes canon. Just I mean, why not? Oh, hey, by the way, who's doing this art? Uh, which art? The the art that that's clearly by a different person. <laughs> Uh, the one in the dream book. Okay, so whatever it's called. This is this is interesting. I am not sure if Shelby is doing this or if this is Hussey uh, mimicking Shelby's style. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Um, and I, you know, say that because uh, I have. There are actually like the, the the Twitters have all been like wiped or restarted or whatever by this point. But people in the thread are like posting screen caps of um, conversations between Shelby and Hussey from Twitter where Shelby is like talking about how uh, 
sort of flattered and surprised she is at uh, seeing how well Hussey has like figured out how to mimic the drawing style for certain assets in this comic. And I don't know if it's these necessary panels. I knew I know there are like other things that are like done in a Shelby style that I think come from Hussey. Um, but I'm not sure about these panels, right? The the because there is some uh, evidence that Hussey can vary styles in this way. I just don't know. Mm hmm. Yeah, the and part of it, that adds a you know a, a conceptual a really good conceptual layer to all the stuff we were talking about before, mm -hmm. right? Which is like uh, Calliope, our Calliope, quote unquote, right? Like Calliope that that we've had experience with drew as Shelby, and now you have Jade, who was taught by a different Calliope, who is drawing that story from the different Calliope, drawing in a style that is like. Shelby, but not oh, Shelby. That is uh oh, that wait. is our Calliope who is drawing. Jade is writing the words. Oh, that's right. That is right. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that I forget mm -hmm. that that one is talking and the other is drawing. Mm -hmm. Uh I, I keep uh it's the panels with the like seventy fifty nine that do mm -hmm. it. So that's interesting then. That so maybe hmm. Mm, mm. Is it our Calliope? Right. And I mean, and this again contrasts uh, with what we saw of Caliborn uh, back in his like last little act where he goes into his dreams and it's literally just uh, repeated images of himself drawn in that uh, like, you know, scribbly angular style. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting that these are all done in this kind of Photoshop mimicking uh, watercolor style, mm -hmm. um, uh, which is like the antithesis of the right angles MS Paint style. Mm -hmm. You know, like the, they're diametrically opposed in terms of like the way that they are done. This is like very much Wacom tablet Tumblr art, mm -hmm. um, which I don't mean in a dismissive way, but like there's a wave of people in the early uh, in the 20 teens, basically, who are like all get Wacom tablets uh, w when they finally become a little bit more affordable than they were. I remember when that came out, when like the bamboo dropped to like a hundred dollars. Uh -huh. That was like a huge moment for like the explosion of, of art stuff. I, I, I was uh, really interested in comics at the moment between where uh, pen and ink was probably still your best bet in terms of like learning how to do all that kind of stuff. And then the price point shifted for Wacom tablets um, to the point where it was like, oh, you can actually just invest in this thing and then do digital art. Um, you know, I, I remember really being very invested in that kind of moment, that transitionary moment. But uh, so yeah, that, that's interesting here too, right? Like Caliborn is all, all of his art is mouse art. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is very much tablet mm -hmm. art. Even if it's not literally tablet art, but it's in the style of the, the you know, the Wacom tablets, right? right? Uh, I really like this thing on 7025, by the way. 7025. Uh, let me, let me see. This, this is, this is my boy John here. Uh... Why are all troll girls so weird? <laughs> Every single one I've met is some kind of depraved lunatic. All the troll boys I have met are just lame weenies, though. <laughs> Except for Carcat. Carcat was great. May he rest in peace, Brownie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Wow, John, you've really tapped the tapped the central vein of, of the Homestuck experience. <laughs> the integral part of of troll culture. The depraved in the weenie. <laughs> my my uh, my AU based on the quick and the dead. <laughs> it's just all, all trolls. Oh my god! 
Yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of, did you notice that when John uh, zaps back into the scene later, the second John gets uh, named John in parentheses, which is immediately taken as a, a, an echo by the readers of the, the Vriska parentheses Vriska meme. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, very good. I like all the stuff with Terezi. I love that Terezi stole Jade's shoes. Yes. <laughs> Because Terezi's just a weirdo. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, and John's like, why did you do that? And Terezi was like, because they were delicious. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. Uh, and I sent you the 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 video from Reno 911 <laughs> where Lieutenant Dangle purchases ostrich leather cowboy boots <laughs> and he begins new boot goofing. Yes. That's, how, that's how I thought about this. Terezi's new boot goofing over here. Right. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. It is. I, and this whole like plot is good, mm-hmm. I think. Like Terezi's like, go figure your stuff out. It is hilarious to me. I remember like a billion partisans ago, you were like, what do you think's up with those denizens? I was like, I don't know, just some video game boss. I bet they'll fight them or whatever. Lo and behold, a billion pages later, uh-huh. it all comes back. <laughs> this is another thing the thread is super excited about. They're like, finally, denizen content. We've been waiting for five years for denizen chat. How contrived. Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> well, it's just like, oh, I don't know. What's the other lore shit bounced around in the background we haven't brought up for a while? All right, denizens. Right. I mean, like, it's fair game, mm-hmm. right? But, and, and then uh, his denizen's just the sandworm from Dune. <laughs> yes. <laughs> With a smiley face. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, the artist rendition of that worm and its reality in the in the in that panel is really good. The the gif panel, mm-hmm. yeah, like it fades from uh what Cameron just described, like the Dune worm, but with like a, a goofy face that is very evocative of like the MSPA logo, uh, and it fades into like you know this uh scaled, textured, long, massive uh green snake. Uh, and then the face is, I think this is actually a flash animation rather than a GIF, but, uh, uh, oh, okay. It's like a, um, I mean, it's like a sun, right? It's like a, a burst of, uh, uh, flickering light is, is what its face is. Uh, and also like, <laughs> yeah, that's the sandworm, yeah. right? I mean, isn't that the way the sandworms are described in Dune? Yeah. It's having like these sort of like cosmic open mouths. Yeah. Right. Uh, and also like, there's the great joke of, of Calliope, um, <laughs> Like barely able to contain her giggles because uh because she's a cherub like sex or uh, snakes are inherently sexual, <laughs> but she doesn't explain that to Jade. She's just like, oh, I have to draw this. Okay. Oh, that's why. Uh, okay, I for- I'd forgotten that because I was like, why is she acting this way about that? But that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's just it's, uh, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Well, um. Weirdly enough, other than that part, and then John like cleanses the thing and distributes the oil everywhere, mm-hmm. right? But other than that, there's not a lot of like plotty plotty plot stuff that happens here. I think that's kind of it. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's really it. Um, and so just like one other like sort of big discussion that appears to happen, and like this is an interesting moment uh, for me, like doing this project, is because it's not a conversation that really happens in the thread or because of the thread, but it uh, affects uh, the the website Hussy. Uh, puts up a news post um so all these all these characters have died we we've covered that and then uh rose dies after uh exchanging just you know these few brief words with roxy 
you know, and regretting that she never got to say uh, to Kanaya that she loved her and, and uh, bleh, she's dead. Oh, that's got to be big. People got to be reacting to that. Although, weirdly enough, I did think in the last part of episode that she just died. So <laughs> uh, I, I got here and I was like, oh, she's not. Oh, OK. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so this is, I think, part of the part of the core of the issue. Um, again, no one in the thread, like for, for people in the thread, like Rose's death basically hits. Uh, people in the thread are actually mm-hmm. huge fans of Roxy. The something awful thread loves Roxy. And so they like really appreciate this moment of like uh, gravitas for her and like they, they like Rose. So they're just kind of on board. They're like, yeah, whatever. Um, but Hussey ends up having to put up this or ha- having, I guess, you know, scare quotes, but puts up this news post um, apparently in response to outcry over the ways that Rose died, probably most specifically, it seems like, um, but also the other characters, I guess, to, to greater and lesser degrees, and specifically the God-tier characters. Uh, and I don't know if this is coming from Tumblr or if this is maybe bubbling up on the official forums, but whatever whatever is happening, Hussey feels moved to directly address these questions, which I think is notable. Um, and in fact, begins uh, this little uh, digression by saying, I don't do FAQs much anymore because uh, it... it uh, didn't think it didn't seem like uh, it was that helpful or whatever, but now it seems like I have to do this again. Um, so <clears throat> it seems like people are upset. And I, again, I'm like trying to reverse engineer this situation based on what Hussey is saying. It seems like people are upset that Rose died because they think question mark. Uh, that her mode of death is not heroic. Um, and they like parallel it to the way that uh, John got backstabbed by Jack Noir way back in Act 5, Act 2. Um, like his first death after becoming a god tier where he, uh, you know, there's going to be that battle between uh, him, Rose, and and Jack Noir, and then Jack teleports behind him, ganks him, and then uh, he and Rose, ex- Jack and Rose explode, and then John resurrects or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. so, uh, I guess people are like saying that, uh, because Rose just kind of like got this trident to the chest, um, in in a similar way that, uh, uh, John just got stabbed, that that's not like a heroic death. Um, and Hussey goes in and kind of explains, Earlier in Homestuck, when God-tier folk were more scarce, the, stir- the story was more cagey about these verdicts. The Vriska ruling was presented, and this is uh, when, when Vriska was stabbed by Terezi, which is another thing that gets paralleled here, right? Like, there's a, a focus on, like, being stabbed through the chest. Uh, the Vriska ruling was presented as a close call, which maybe could have gone either way. Then Slick smacked the clock to just before it could settle, leaving the true verdict ambiguous and the, quote, moral debate intact, so to speak. But now there are a lot of god tears running around, with the stakes raised and the body count piling up. The game, or story, is starting to be more liberal with its rulings. As in, more likely to come down hard on just heroic or neither verdicts without intervention or obfuscation, helping us better understand the boundaries of heroic and just action through example. Not necessarily by moral definitions, but as dictated by the rules of a game. 
So that turns the story guy, sometimes known as the author, into something like a ref at a basketball game who blows the whistle when he sees the basketball guy, the baller, take a half step without bouncing the ball, uh, uh, and so on and so forth. Like that, that gives you a sense of where this is going, right? Hussey presents himself as uh, a ref who is like making calls about story decisions in line with like a series of rules. Um... And they work through kind of all of this stuff about like, you know, for instance, I think some people are angry that uh, Jade uh, died, right? And that her death was considered uh, just because she was being mind controlled. Uh, so how could that be just if she's being forced to do this against her will? And so Hussey explains like, well, really, the mind control uh, was more like flipping a switch to Jade that like removed her filter and made her do like more evil things. Right. She she had the capacity for evil within her, uh, but the mind control just, <laughs> you know, did whatever. Um, so this is like if uh, if a referee if so if someone takes a half step and doesn't bounce or like someone is offsides in football. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm I'm more of a football guy. Someone's offsides. The uh, a ref throws the flag. Mm-hmm. Right, comes out on the field and says, "When you were eight years old, you considered the very notion of stealing from from the local grocery store." So then, therefore, many years later, you jump the gun. Then, therefore, uh, this is, uh, you know, uh, against the rules of the Mm -hmm. game, right? Or even better, it would be this. Uh, When you were in the third grade, I came up to you, the referee, and I made you steal. (laughs) (laughs) And and now, many years later, I'm punishing you for it, right? It's like the levels of uh, digging into the past here for justification and also the levels of arbitrariness because let i remind you know please mm-hmm. i beg of you let me remind you these are little guys that andrew hussey made right. up right <laughs> they're little guys running around right uh and so you know later on uh addressing the point of like john being killed by jack under similar circumstances why did he survive and rose didn't uh hussey says the circumstances were very similar on the surface but i would suggest that the similarity of the two situations both leading to different outcomes helps clarify the rules in play not confuse them the reason for this all capitals here science if you were a scientist in this fictional world trying to test this fictional construct these are the exact kinds of situations you would seek out to prove or disprove whatever hypothesis as you had more more stuff is said in this vein um eventually the justification works out like this john uh resurrected because he was just standing there and then he got stabbed in the back uh rose's death counts as heroic because she is actually like charging into battle to fight uh the condes um and then gets uh stabbed with with the trident um so Reading again, I think what's more important is that John didn't even get a chance to move or more specifically to prove through action that he was prepared to do battle with a foe. Uh, in fact, hindsight may tell us he wasn't, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Compare this to Rose's situations. Her her feelings are unambiguous. Her mind is made up and committed to action in the form of forward motion. All of this is to say, like, these are these are ways that you can read and talk about these characters. Uh, but the, the thing that... Uh, doesn't get said here that I think is very obvious and could be said is Rose died when Rose died uh, and she died heroically because it was a moment of high plot drama. 
like her dying right there in Roxy's arms, having just met Roxy uh, after lost losing her girlfriend. Uh, right. Like uh, the like her- heroic and just do not really operate in this story along moral lines, as Hussey says, uh, they are like uh, uh, barometers of like plot criticality for a given moment. So, you know, it it makes perfect sense that Rose would die in this way because uh, the drama of the narrative allows for it or like it provides this kind of satisfying character moment for both of them. Um, And, you know, I I can't tell Andrew Hussey how to write fiction or like dictate the way that they think through these things. But like, that's how it reads to me. Uh, Like, that's how these that's how the logic works. I don't have to pretend that I'm a scientist, like seeking out various uh, scenarios that might prove or disprove what is heroic and just action relative to the rules of Spurb. I can just think about how stories work and like, when is it satisfying for a character to die? People may disagree with me here. uh, And clearly people are disagreeing with Hussey's uh, choice to kill off these characters in these moments. Um, But if someone were to push back on my decisions, I could say, like, here is how a story works works like that's why i did it i i'm sorry that the story that you want to happen is not the one that's being told right now yeah i i I don't know i i'll never be able to understand other than asking and i even think if a direct asking of the question would never be responded to seriously or or directly i mean just based on what what i've seen of hussey uh speaking both in the past and and recently right Mm -hmm. Uh, but but the question is wh- why displace this responsibility? Like truly, right. I mean, we've m- we've made many jokes about this in the past, but the use of referee here, right, is particularly feels like a tactical error, like a rhetorical uh-huh. error here, right? Like like have you ever there? There's perhaps not a public position that is more backseat questioned than the referee uh-huh. of a game, right? I mean, better to call yourself a computer, right? At least then in that thing, people say, well, the rules are bad, right? Which is really what we, what people, if, if if the governance of rules here is the question, that's what people are complaining about, right? The, the, the call is bad uh, uh, based on the rules. But notoriously, right, referees make a call in the moment. Uh, there's very little systems of review in some leagues, depending on how it is. But for the most part, unless it's the most egregious stuff, there's no real system of review uh, for the thing. And calls that are made in the game are not calls that are generally reversed in other places, right? Even if we've got the the, the picture-perfect footage later to determine what the right call was, people make bad calls in the moment. That's the human element of, of the game. And so it's interesting to me that using the game rules, right? Quote unquote game. There is no game. rules, Right. right? Like these are fictional constructs that have been made up and arbitrarily applied for good storytelling content. Hussey's very good at doing this. Um, but, but then using that is like this little thing to be like, well, it's not me. It's the game rules. Just, just say, Hey, the story works better this mm-hmm. way. Because the story does work better this way. And I understand why you wouldn't do that in a in a big, broad, massive bucket sense. Because in the big, broad, massive bucket <laughs> massive sense. Massive bucket. This kind of, yeah, a huge bucket. <laughs> massive bucket. Uh, but in that sense, right, like, that's what keeps people coming back. Like, we know mm-hmm. that. Uh, I'm not confused about that whole deal. Uh, people applying the game construct to the thing is, like, a big part of the fandom. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just don't, I don't, I don't know what it gets you, I guess. Like many of the Hussey decisions and and the rhetorical framings around Homestuck, I just don't know what it gives you access to, uh, as a creator or as someone interfacing with a large community, 
um, that would not be better done by A, saying nothing at all mm-hmm. and just releasing the work and people's opinion of it's people's opinion of it. Or uh, just saying, hey, I made this choice because I think it works for high drama and you might not like it, but hopefully you like the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, may, you know, my heart of hearts, I think that maybe Hussey is too much of a forums denizen to ever let it go. Mm. You know, <laughs> like, like, I think, I think it, uh, in their heart, Hussey's a poster, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what we would call now a poster, but the true sense of the poster, right? <laughs> like, uh, from, from, from decades and aeons past. Mm-hmm. And I think that that might drive some of this, but I don't know, you know, I don't want to psychologize Hussey because I have no interest in that. And I don't know where it gets you. But I do know that the rhetorical decisions here have costs and benefits, and I see so many more costs than benefits, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just don't know what most of this gets you, other than people mad at you, and then mad at you about misapplying <laughs> the rules of your own game, which is like, I can't imagine wanting to be involved in that. By the way, I, I want to make a plug here, mm-hmm. Michael. We had a little show called Sword Coast Coast to Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where it was a, like a D&D show. It's still, still available. It's a tabletop show. We played a very heavily edited version of D&D and slight spoilers, but I think, you know, it's been done for a couple of years now. So I don't think it ruins anything, but you were a character in the game, despite never being in the game until near the very mm-hmm. end. And you did that by a, a character played by Jordo Wegg mm-hmm. had a religious set of rules that, that you lived by mm-hmm. like the character Wegg lived by him. And you would listen to the episodes like way after, not way, you would listen to them when they came out, which was way after we recorded or, or a couple weeks after we recorded. And then you would make calls as an external player about whether or not Wegg had basically done right by the by the law mm-hmm. or not. Right. right? And so it really did, was like a game construct and it felt like a game construct and it felt like it was responsible to some sort of obscure system that ultimately was like displaced into another thing. I turned you into my computer right. that that spit out good or bad, and then I kind of uh, applied that decision, but did not arbitrate that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just saying, if you if you read Homestuck and you thought, "Dang, I wish someone did it better," you can listen to Sword Coast Coast, <laughs> Coast <laughs> where we uh, solved the Homestuck yeah. problem. Uh, so uh, ab- about this post, um, it's interesting because it really does like set the thread off on a jag. Uh, and it's, it's, it's basically kind of a preview for the response to a lot of the stuff that we have said, uh, where someone, you know, like, again, like the thread hasn't been really upset about any of this stuff. They're just like, okay, whatever. Um, but then this post goes up and they're like, there are people who are like, what is, what is Hussey talking about? Like this referee comparison is really silly. Like that is, that's a thing that people lock in on. It's like, that's why are you saying you're like a referee in this? That doesn't make any sense. Um, and this sort of splinters off into all these conversations about like, what is fiction? What is the nature of fiction? Uh, or like, what are your preferences in fiction? Um, and so, you know, someone who doesn't like the referee comparison says that, like, I don't like this because it, it's it's like a disingenuous way of framing the author's relationship to the text. Uh, like, you're just making decisions about what happens. There's not like two actual like competing forces that you're making a call between like you you are taking two things that you're imagining and you're like choosing one or the other for, you know, any given reason. Uh, but you're not really being a referee in the way that the, the rhetorical framing here very, very firmly suggests, um, you know, uh, uh, to quote some wise sage. These are all little guys that you made up. 
Uh, and then, if, mm, oh, yes, the wisdom yeah. of the ancients, <laughs> of the precursors. Right. Uh, and then, of course, there's someone who retorts to that. And it's like, oh, you've discovered what fiction is. Well, aren't you special, like acting like you're better than all of us? And they're like, I don't think I'm better Oof. than you. I just think that this is how fiction or like, I don't understand, like, what's being gained by this. Um, uh, and then, you know, we have our wizened forebears. They knew what fiction was. Uh, and then, of course, there are people who are kind of this gets into like a, a big, long digression where people are just sort of talking about like lore and world building. And I'm just going to quote this uh, uh, particular line because I think it's, you know, illustrative of, of kind of an attitude. Um, Rules in your setting should make sense as in setting constructs rather than authorial hand waves. Uh, right. Like that's that's a way people like like their fiction, want to write it, uh, uh, maybe prefer the fiction um, uh, be presented. And it seems to be that that is what uh, Homestuck is trying to do through these maneuvers or like what Hussey is trying to do through these maneuvers. Uh, except, uh, you know, I think personally uh, that going for like the seamless work of fiction um I almost, I almost called out Jesper Yule here, but I don't remember what his terms were. Is it coherent and incoherent games? Mm, yeah, but I don't remember exactly what it's been. Yeah. Uh, go listen to Game Study Study Buddies, our first episode, uh, uh, Half Real, Jesper Yule's book. Uh, he he has this dichotomy between like coherent and incoherent games. Uh, and so like an incoherent game is a game that uh, uh, forces you to uh, understand like some sort of arbitrary game limit to it. So the example is like the fact that Mario has three lives. There's no in-story reason for Mario to have three lives. He just does, and you have to be aware of that and and notice it and so on. Um, whereas an, a coherent game uh, would be a game where kind of every mechanic that is surfaced is also like integrated fully into the narrative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the by they are uh, coherent, incoherent worlds, not games. Mm -hmm. I mean, implicitly they're games, yeah. but but just the term is incoherent and coherent world. Oh, okay. All right. I'm looking it up. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so the uh, we're seeing uh, a similar kind of division or like you know competing uh, ideas here, uh, and just like personally, I think that the the coherent world where everything uh is, the, the coherent fictional world, uh, where everything um becomes. Uh, uh, self-sufficient, right? It doesn't have to answer to like authorial whim or some sort of authorial uh, uh, arbitrary decision. Like, I just don't think you can get that. Like, that's just not what fiction is, which is definitionally like a thing that someone made up. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. And nevertheless, there is there is the thirst for it, right? And definitely there are degrees here, right? You can have uh, uh, stories mm. that are really messy about this stuff and stories that, like, make an attempt. But I think, you know, press on it hard enough and you're going to eventually run into the author function. <laughs> and the people are so thirsty for it that one could make a fictional construct that was so tightly oriented that it would trap that thirst. Mm -hmm. Homestuck is a one giant trap for thirst perhaps <laughs> for a certain narrative mind my god hmm so yeah i don't know uh, i just i think that's interesting well, that's interesting mm -hmm. is that what you were gonna say yeah it is interesting that's i i i i only imagine that that conversation uh gets more bigger <laughs> 
as as the thing draws to a close. Because mm-hmm. because I this is pure prediction. I honestly have no idea, especially of the kind of fan response. But my assumption would be that these questions of clarification of gaminess, right? Like as this thing comes to an end, com- these things can only be different competing interpretations, right? Like. Mm-hmm. There's only going to be more contestation of what is the right way for this thing to go. Mm. I can't imagine a world in which people don't yell at each other about that <laughs> based on the history of this of this thing, right? Right. Like, it just seems programmed for it. Uh, speaking of people yelling at uh, each other and having strong emotions, the the guy committing suicide showed up again. Oh, yeah. The, during the, the flashback, the MSPA reader, uh, when... John does his he does the full animal man loop and goes back and meets himself at an earlier point in the narrative. And uh, we get the replay of like the two Johns looking at each other and then the MSPA reader imagining the two Johns making out and then uh, being so harrowed by this that the MSPA reader like whips out their gun. Mm -hmm. But then it disappears and they're okay. Mm hmm. I I think I wonder I, I don't I don't know what to make of that part, but I do wonder like were people concerned about the MSPA reader last time? <laughs> you know, like what did people show concern and Hussey had to be like, all right, let me give you the other, but they're they're okay, they're fine. <laughs> uh, honestly, not sure. Not something that's discussed in the thread, but I bet I mean. MSPA reader has a has an afterlife. MSPA reader shows up in in some like uh, future post ending of Homestuck <laughs> properties. Oh, so there's definitely an audience for for more MSPA reader content. Good, good. <laughs> My I have I use a similar uh, image meme, but it's just Dale from King of the Hill. What? I have have you haven't seen my? Hold on, let me let me show you. I'll show it to you. Hold on. I gotta find the image. Okay. Here we go. All right, Dale one. There's three images. There's a sequence. Uh-huh. I have them all saved separately. Let me put an old chat for you here. That's my MSPA reader. <laughs> and then you got this. This is Dale two. <laughs> That's what he's looking at. He's looking at Bill mm-hmm. in the actual comic or in the actual cart- cartoon. But I have I have edited it in such a way. That uh, that that you can make Dale look at anything like this. This is great. This is great content. <laughs> right, but this, this, you, you can you can have Dale look at any bad tweet that you want, <laughs> and I enjoy it. I enjoy making that. That's fun to me. Yeah, that's good. That's great. Oh, but my. that's my MSPA reader. He's just <laughs> he's Dale from King of the Hill. Uh. Is that it? Is that all the stuff? Yeah, that's that's it. That's that's all the stuff. Um, so going down easy. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'll just tell you to to join us next time as we continue episode eleven. Uh, I've already I've already boosted the Patreon, uh, but I'll boost it once more. Remember, you can listen to our newest bonus episode on Detective Pony. We're we're going to talk about Derrida. We have to talk about Derrida. Uh, and I, I hope it'll be something good for your ears. And then you can two weeks from whenever you're listening to this, if you're listening to it on the day that it dropped, uh, mosey on back here and join us for episode 11, part two, in which we will be reading until page 7,448. Goodbye.